This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Woe, Women On Air, a podcast celebrating and championing women who are taking risks, making waves and challenging the status quo in their fields. Join me as I interview women making their mark in communities all over New Zealand. They're innovators, leaders, changemakers, creatives, movers and shakers and general boat rockers. Listen in as we get exclusive intel about the successes, the speed bumps, the tangents and the tips that got these amazing women to where they are today. Hello, uh, today I am talking with Kate Wright. She's a professional challenger of the status quo, highly educated businesswoman, free-spirited unschooler, queen of neglect when it comes to all things skincare, even though she worked in the beauty industry, and co-founder of the alternative lifestyle and career website Intentio Business Design. Kate's on a mission to help unstick the stuck, re-energise the miserable, set free the imprisoned, and hulkify the helpless, empowering them to buck the system and say, if at all, I'm going to do what I want by stepping boldly into their future and building their own stunningly authentic, magnificently independent and unbelievably awesome business. So thank you so much for joining me, Kate. That's such a cool bio. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) That's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's my pleasure, and um, we we go way back, and it's been quite some time since since we've caught up. So I'm really excited just to catch up with you and hear how things have been going since we last talked. Which, as we um, were just discussing, I wouldn't ha- want to hazard a guess to how many years it's actually been. <laughs> time just goes. It sure does. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, and this year is um, obviously an especially crazy one. <laughs> everybody um and time you know does funny things in a year like this as well so um yeah who knows where we are and what we're doing at any given moment this year I was just saying I've been the age I am now which I won't mention but I've been this uh, saying that I'm this age for the longest time it feels like I've been saying this for about five years and I'm like have I reached this stage of dementia where I just don't realize (laughs) that I'm actually getting older or denial or something but no I've been this age for so long I think you're as old as the age you feel. So I, yeah. you know, yeah, you just keep saying that age, whatever it may be. I'm I sure. I think I will. I'll just keep doing it for five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah it sounds good. It's a, it's a good life <laughs> philosophy. <laughs> Um, well, let's give um, some other people some background um, as well who are listening. So maybe we could start right back at the beginning um, with uh, one of these biographical questions. So where did you grow up and what were you like as a kid? That's a funny, well, the first part isn't funny. I grew up in Canterbury. I'm a Canterbury girl through and through. And I grew up on a sheep farm and I was the youngest of four and, you know, pet lambs and the whole thing, which I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. It was the best thing. Um, I don't know what I was like. I was very isolated. And then all through primary school, I was the only girl in my year. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was me and five boys. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I so I. I don't know, and we didn't have the internet, and I just sort of moved around with my <laughs> sheep. But I read a lot. I read voraciously, and I really couldn't wait to leave and just go out and see the world. That's yeah. that's sounds like a really interesting childhood. So was the school really small? Yeah, it was tiny. There was 20 kids in the senior room and 20 in the junior room. Wow. Yeah. So that's um, quite different from where you guys are now. Yeah, and so it's, it is weird because 
my whole adult life I've gravitated towards cities. So I couldn't wait to leave. I went to college and then discovered, you know, all of the, there was thousands of kids at our school and it was a huge shock to me. We didn't have intermediate. Mm-hmm. So it was straight from that to college and then or high school and then um yeah, a couple of other bits and pieces and then I just couldn't wait to leave. So I was nineteen when I left the country for London and stayed there for five years. Oh wow. So what did you do and what brought on like why did you choose London? Um I didn't really well, I think lots of people had gone there. My sister had gone there on her OE, so it seemed like a possibility. Um and I asked my parents when I was about 16, we did this thing, we had to fill out your CV, and I was like, well, what could I do? I had no idea. I think I had one book that was about a hospital, and all the men were doctors and all the women were nurses, and, um, you know, one of those kids' books, and they said, well, you're really good with animals, you could be a nurse or a vet or a teacher. (laughs) And I was like, really? (laughs) I mean, those are great professions, but I... I just was like, really? And then I went, actually went and started nursing training and I did three days. They showed me how to make the bed. It was like pre-nursing. <laughs> and I was like, no, I don't want to do it. And I made my mum go and get me from Timur and bring me all the way back. And then I did nanny school, which was the first one in the country, I think, and we did. It was my first entry into child psychology and stuff like that. And um, from there, a really beautiful Kiwi family who were living in London had um, – come to the school to see if any any girls were sort of ready to go from that very first graduation and it was really exciting because they flew me up to Auckland and we went out to Chin Chin for lunch and then they took me to London wow yeah that sounds like a movie (laughs) does it (laughs) (laughs) It, it's it's sort of I don't know yeah it's reminding me of some kind of a a movie story where you get I was so young and so green and Yeah. yeah But I loved it so much. I think I remember writing a letter back in the days when you used to write letters. And I wrote back to my mum and I was like, I wrote her one letter from the plane saying I was scared because there was like strange people there and stuff. And then I wrote to her after I'd found my feet and she thought I was lying because I was so gushy about how, how much I loved it. She was like, are you home six weeks? I was like, no, I love it. Like I was free. Wow. I was just, yeah. And so, so much. being a nanny for a family in London, what what was it like? Did they travel? Did you travel with them? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. They were wonderful. They um, they had one little boy, James. He's now like a fully grown man <laughs> <laughs> who works at some fancy company. But um, they were fabulous, and they were there for the first year. They t- they then got transferred to a different country and wanted to have a last look around Europe before they left for Australia and they'd asked me to come with them and I said I'm not ready to go yet so I can't come with you but um we went all around the Route de Vannes in France and you know all all across Europe together so it was really cool and then after they left I just kind of did my own thing and signed up within a few agencies and got some really interesting jobs and yeah. Wow so that's quite a journey between Nanny School, as if that's what yeah. it was called. Um, yeah. Oh, here, look, it's behind me. You oh, yeah, it's one of see, these. You, there oh, are so one. many, so many diplomas and certificates well, and degrees. Half of them aren't mine. Half of them wall. are my other half. Ah, okay. <laughs> I would have just claimed them if I was you. <laughs> well, okay, sure. Um, so, so how do you go from um, nanny to? you made a decision at some point to study business. So can you tell me about when and how that happened? I don't know if I can. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Well, the one thing, just before we leave nannying, the one, because I still draw on a lot of stuff that I learned. Right. And I think, because I had grown up so isolated, like in the country, and um, and I had read lots of books, and I wanted to know what was going on in the world outside of my little area, and then, and I didn't really have that many role models, but when I was nannying, I had these wonderful women who became my role models, and sort of took me under their wing, and... Mm. um. I learned so much from them and I was really curious about how other people do family. So I got to live with a, um Orthodox Jewish family during some really, you know, religious holidays and things and learned so much about mm. other ways of doing things and other ways of living. And it made me really, I guess, tolerant and, I don't know, interested and a little bit open, more open. I was mm. always open, but it sort of made me a little bit knowledgeable, I guess. And then how did I get from there to business? I think... I was traveling around. One of my pivotal moments was when I came home for a year and then I couldn't settle and I was like, oh, I'll go again. So I went and got a job in New York nannying. And I went to a party. I got invited to a party and I thought it was kind of like a New Zealand party where you just kind of turn up in your jeans and stuff. And um, everybody was in these beautiful cocktail dresses and things. And they would say to me, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a nanny. And they said, yeah, no, but we, we nanny too. But what do you really do? Like, that was just their side job. For me, uh-huh. it was my job job. And they were like, yeah, but what are you studying? And I was like, oh, um, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was when I realized that there was more to life than just this one thing I'd fallen into. And I was like, oh, wow, I wonder what I could study. And then when I came back from that, then, um, yeah, that's when I decided to go to university. I was like, well, maybe I should get an education. Um, and so you started and with I, psychology, didn't you, and sociology, was it? Yeah, psychology and sociology, and I loved them so much. I just lapped it up. I think having the whole space in between where I went and met the world and did my thing was really good for me. Wow. And so and you're saying, yeah, that the nannying um, sort of influenced potentially your shift into psychology? With Yeah, that was, yeah, my very first sort of, entree into psychology was child psychology and Mm. when I went to university I sort of picked back up on that and did developmental psychology and um, consumer behavior and yeah just kind of kept going it's really and really interested in how that plays out in business because everything's about your brain and your beliefs and the psychology of buyer behavior and all that sort of stuff right and so the the psychology degree that you have, you do, yeah, you call upon that now alongside, you know, your MBA. Yeah, but mostly what what informs me, I think, is the sociology stuff, which is kind of, you know, the study, the interplay between the individual and the greater society and, and looking at power structures and things. So I'm really, I feel like I can see things differently because of that. Like that's why I want to address the status quo and challenge it and do things differently and innovate. And just because we've done things that way doesn't mean they work now. Like I can see how we got to this place where we do work a certain way, but it was designed for men in the 1940s. And when at some point we all burned our bras and said, we're coming to work too, nothing changed structurally. It just kind of stayed the same. Mm. And we just had to kind of fit into that. And then having lived through the pain of trying to be the best, you know, the best employee that I could be and show up and be professional and do that because I loved it and also show up and be the best mum that I could be and 
all the other stuff that comes along with that. You know, just the commute takes out so much time. And then where's the time left for you and how do you juggle it all around and where's the support mechanisms and all of that sort of stuff. So I was just like, no, this is wrong. This is wrong for me. Mm. I can't do this. But, you know, I pretended to be superwoman and everything, and it, but I, you know, it was killing me. Yeah, and so many women feel that pressure, you know, with their work, whatever it may Massive be. Of pressure. That's the so-called work-life balance, which is a total myth, isn't it? Um, it's impossible to actually have a balance. Um, it's about yeah. sort of um, tackling the pendulum swings, isn't it, from work exactly. to life to work to life and, and the bottlenecks and the intensities of both. Is that So yeah. is that what your business focuses around, supporting people or women especially um, in, in this way? What, what does that look like? What does the work look yeah. like that you do? Um, well, my favourite thing to do is help people quit their jobs because for me that was just <laughs> life. It was the most exciting, wonderful. I love quitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and if people are unhappy, I want to help them do it too because I struggled for so long. I knew that there was a way out and I knew that people had done it and – you know, like I read books like The 4-Hour Workweek and I was like, I was saying to Scotty, you know, there's these people called digital nomads and they work from anywhere they want. And he's like, yeah, but how? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. <laughs> <laughs> if it kills me, I'm going to find out. And um, yeah, and I did. And I just sort of started delving into that world. And yeah, so how that looks is that people want to change something. And more and more people know that now because it took a pandemic to make people realise. And before that, the Christchurch earthquake. So a lot of companies in Christchurch had to figure it out. They had to figure out how do we get our people to work remotely because the building is broken. Mm. And and I think, I mean, if anything good comes out of things like that, at least something. Yeah. Because now a lot of people realise, well, we don't all have to travel on the motorway at the exact same time. <laughs> A lot of jobs can be done from home, and um, the studies that I read um, and incorporated into my thesis or whatever was they show that it's it impacts well being, and not only the the well being of the woman or the person, but their children, their partner, their work, their co workers, mm. and the company gets all this payoff that they can't necessarily see, but it, it does impact their bottom line because they get more loyalty. Like if somebody's going to give you those kind of conditions, then you will stay. But a lot of a lot of women are voting with their feet. They're like, this doesn't work for me. I don't want this. I want to be with my kids. I want to be able to choose my time. I want to be able to go and put the washing on the line. This doesn't define my life, but if I can do it in between jobs, great. Mm. Let me do that. Let me figure out how to do this. And yeah, so how that looks is um, basically we just have a big conversation and I want to find out what drives them and what skills they have and how can we package those up and market them and make it work within their context of their life. That sounds so amazing and um, I'm listening with ears wide open because as you know I um, <laughs> I quit my job <laughs> um, my previous job at, um, at the end of last year and have started my own business so I will be yeah um, so following uh, your um, I guess your philosophy of um, you know voting with my feet or just wanting to um, you know try and do things differently um, so I'm really yeah. interested in what you do and I guess what you're going back to what you're saying about the earthquakes and the pandemic is that a lot of innovation does come out of adversity, doesn't it? You know, our, our best yeah. thinking or our best ideas comes out of, you know, when we're faced with constraints or challenges. Um, and so I guess working with individuals, I guess it's the same kind of principle. Everyone has constraints that they have to deal with. And do you help them sort of 
navigate and work around those or challenge those? Yeah, absolutely. And it starts with it really it starts with who they are as a person. Like I need to know what kind of person they are because I don't a lot of us already try and fit ourselves into things that we don't necessarily fit. So if you're an introvert and you don't like being on video, then let's not even set you up for that. We, we tend to think all online businesses have to work a certain way or the gurus tell us we have to do all these things. You don't. You could have an entire business that's run by email if you are willing to put in the work and if you've got a good idea and if you test it and do all those things that we have to do to make a business work. But, um, yeah, and I think there's a whole sea change of attitude. People want more meaning and people want to make more of an impact. It might sound cheesy, but I think people are just like, well, things aren't quite right at the moment. What can, how can I contribute to making the world a certain way? Mm. Yeah. So I, I, I say I work with businesses who want to make the world a better place and, and everyone's got their own way of doing that, whether it's well-being practices or, yeah, just there's so many different ways that we can do that and I just want to help in any way that I can. I'm just like the business plug-in. I can't do half of what the fabulous people that I work with can do they're doing amazing things that sounds so exciting and it sounds really empowering to have someone like you as a mentor alongside you kind of like a sidekick if you like is is that kind of what you do (laughs) yeah I hope so I like to think I'm riding shotgun they're definitely in the driving seat because no one else can do that for you like um I can't give yeah I can't I can't want it for people. They have to really want it themselves. They have to have that drive and the ambition and the guts because it's really scary. Business is scary. Mm, absolutely. Um, yeah, right? It's that. risky. <laughs> and risk is scary. But, um, yeah, I'll ride shotgun. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, might, um, I might call you again after this. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll talk some more. Um, what I really like is you have quite a few – um, quotes that I've I've been stalking you online, and I've, oh my I've, gosh! <laughs> and I've been, but, um, there's a few. One I love is that you're a business coach for rebels, um, and because it's a funny thing to think that you get labelled a rebel just by not following the traditional pathway of you yes. know doing everything in the right order in life, whatever that may be, and um, and quitting your job is a rebellious act and is shocking to people. Yes. Um, yeah, can you talk more about, yeah. about that? It's really interesting because when you start talking about doing those things and you're still in in sort of in the thick of that whole nine to five thing, it's just so commonly reported that people will say that people told them, Well, you can't do that or what are you gonna do when you fail or how will you make money or you'll never be able to sell it or whatever they say and they don't mean ill by it, they just don't necessarily have that kind of Inkling. They just don't, that's not the kind of person they are, and that's fine. Um, and, yeah, is it rebellious or is it just different? Mm. Is it, I, but the reason that I do that in my messaging is to call out those people because um, it's, it's really important to speak to the people whose soul I'm speaking deeply into because someone who's just a bit disgruntled and is kind of playing around with the idea, they're not the right person to work with me because they're not there yet. You have to have reached inspirational dissatisfaction and be determined to make it happen. 
that's when I can work with you. I like the inspirational dissatisfaction. Yeah, that's like the that. point at which that's it. There's no return. I'm doing it. Mm. Come hell or high water, I will make this work. Yeah, and that's that's when you get someone alongside you to just guide you through that process because it is scary, and we're all doing it on our own, which is the other crazy thing. Mm. We're all just like you know typical New Zealand DIY. I can build my own deck and I can make my own website <laughs> <laughs> and do all of this myself, but it's not something that we should have to do all by ourselves. Yeah, I mean, one thing is it takes courage to make that step to quit your other job. It takes courage to ask for help and support too, doesn't it? Especially when if you've made the big leap to go, oh, my gosh, all right, I'm going to do this thing. And then there's a lot of people out there who are, like, watching and seeing, you know, well, what's going to happen. And and some people think, well, I can't, you know, ask for help because it will look like I'm failing or I'm not, you know, doing it right. And then everyone will say, see, I told you so. Um, But, you know, so it also takes courage to know that that's not – um, failure, that's actually strength, isn't it, to ask for help and support and, you know, totally. get, get the coach. And, and we don't yeah. even, yeah, we don't even know, like, what even is a business coach? Like, what does that support look like? And, and who the heck, how do you find one? Like, who do you ask for help? I mm. didn't know any of that stuff. And, but I was so bloody determined, I just kept searching and searching until I sort of stumbled across groups and things and, yeah, you figure it out. But it's not something that we just know, like... um, And it takes courage on lots of different levels. Like it takes courage to be visible and show up and say, this is who I am and this is what I do. And it takes courage to do that in front of your family. Mm. That held me back for the longest time. And I had this kind of sort of mental reframing of it that every time I put something out there, I would think, oh, my God, what if my dad sees this? (laughs) (laughs) And actually one time I was in a a Facebook group that was for uh, working young mums or something and I – must have commented and somehow he could see that comment. It must have been an open group or something. And he made a comment, something about, oh, good one, Katie, or something. And I was like, oh, dear, get out of this group. <laughs> what are you doing in here? But, um, and it used to freak me out and stop me. And then I now I think of it like, well, this whatever I put out there, that's not my whole entire business. Like if somebody says something mean about it or doesn't like it, A, that's fine, that's their choice, but B, it's not my whole entire business. It's just an experiment. I'm like a mad scientist. I'm going, here, I'm just testing out this thing. You know, I'm just putting out this post. If people like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. That's fine. And the more you test, the more you learn. So it's just really all about experimentation and learning. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And um, and I guess that, that's something I've thought about too is I often um, think or overthink the posts yes. that I make about my business as well. Um, but I think that's quite you know common, isn't it? Especially amongst women where we're sort of um, bred or encouraged to be concerned about what people think of us and so often we don't even take our own opinions into account when we're making decisions because we're thinking about all the other people and what they might think when we make any decision. How do you support people to deal with that? Oh, this... This is, that's the craziest thing. We over, A, we overthink everything. And B, we feel like we are scrutinised because women are more scrutinised. We're scrutinised about the way we look. We're scrutinised about what we say, if we're too forthright or too, I don't know, what, everything. Mm. But um, I was talking about this with a really a colleague of mine who I really respect and she works in a similar field and um, I was talking to her, you know, should I do this or that? And she just stopped me and she said, Kate, you're a smart woman. Like, you do this for a job. What would you do? And I was like, oh, 
I never ask that question. You just said it then. You mm. said we never ask ourselves. And I was like, oh, what would I do? Duh. Why yeah. do I even give a monkey's what anybody else would do? What would I do? Yeah. Because it has to be right for me. And I know sometimes that's tricky because you can't um, – you, like you can't read the label from inside the jar. Sometimes you need that outside perspective just to be able to look at you and say, okay, from, from where I'm standing, no, that's not crazy or yes, that is crazy or whatever. Hmm. But um, we never we need more self-trust. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, that's interesting. I mean, trust is a big thing now and especially, as you say, with the changing world of work, maybe people thinking, oh, maybe we can do things differently now. A lot of people um, who are working from home, you know, this is sort of, I guess, referred to as a high trust model um, in some businesses or workplaces where they're saying, oh, we don't need everyone in the same room so we can watch them doing their work. Mm. We can trust that they're at home, they're going to get the job done. And I guess trust plays a, a big part in this sort of world of work in a lot of different ways, isn't it? Totally. The big part about that is that it requires managers to do something other than just sort of manage or be clock watchers. They need to have a really high EQ. They need to be able to figure out what kind of person you are. Are you the kind of person who's going to suffer quietly at home and be too embarrassed to say that you can't get your stuff done um, and you need a bit more different support for something? Yeah. Um, or, Or are you the person who's fine with it and is going to do all your work you might not be showing as online during the day, but you fly at two in the morning and you're that guy. Mm. Like, um, they need to be able to figure that out so that they can support you and they should be more coaching than managing, I think. Um, it, it's a completely different skill set. It is, yeah. And, and yeah, trusting uh, people. And they should be measuring results, not time. I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because as we know, I mean, a lot of people can work nine to five and put in a huge number of ineffective hours, um, whereas other people can get a lot done in a short space of time if they're really determined. So it shouldn't be about just the duration. (laughs) Exactly. That's like, um, oh, there's a really amazing guy on the future. It's a graphic design company. His name's Chris. And he talks about, people say to him, how much shall I charge for a graphic design logo? And there's this whole conversation that he has, but basically it comes down to why should he be punished for being fast? Like he's been doing this for 10, 20 years. He can make something that covers all the bases in a short space of time. And yes, he's going to charge $30,000 for it. Why should, but it took him five minutes. So why, why should he be punished for being fast? If we do it by time, then he would only get five bucks for it. Mm. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. We should get paid for results. Yeah. It's that old quality over quantity um, yeah. sort of saying, isn't it? Yeah. The, the results. I like that. Yeah. And have you, what other things have you noticed? Like, do you think that now, due to things like um, COVID, that the nature of work and people's you know businesses are starting to pay attention and go wow we can actually work differently like do you think there is a big shift happening or is it still pretty slow or or have people reverted now like in New Zealand we're sort of you know we're back down to level one in most places and and Mm. you know um things aren't as serious as they were in full lockdown are people going back to the status quo or are they trying to stay away from it I I can't answer that because I am not in contact with enough big businesses but I think the ones who already had it as a a thing that they want to be known for you know there's some banks and some bigger corporations that really 
want to make it their thing to be to be able to provide flexibility. Um, and I think for small businesses, it's really it's difficult. Oh, it's probably easier in some ways if you're really small because it's kind of like you have contractors or you might have a really close relationship with your with the other people in your business. But um, I think it's a hard thing to change. I think there are lots of deeply ingrained beliefs and practices and it's very difficult to change and it has to be led from the top. So in America they had um, these two women who created the results-only work environment mm-hmm. and if they could enrol the, the, the CEOs and get them behaving in this way, then, then it would trickle down and, and work out okay. Um, but as soon as the CEO doesn't buy into it, then you're kind of, it's not going to work. Yeah, I totally understand yeah. that. And um, and I guess, like, I mean, I'm focusing a lot on your work with um, with female entrepreneurs and female business owners um, because I know that one of your um Another one of your quotes that I got while I was stalking you um, is you say your mission is to help a thousand women quit the commute. That's really ambitious, which I love. Um, where did that come from? Can we talk more about, a little bit more about that? Actually, I want to help a million women. I want to help a hundred thousand women, but I was too scared to put that because because then I thought someone you know might start counting and go, <laughs> what, what are you doing? But um, and then I thought, okay, well, a thousand is kind of a reasonable number, but I want to help thousands of women. And just because it's so life-changing, it can be, and not just for that particular person, but for their partner or for their family. And and the old model is broken. I just don't think that it's sustainable. That's what everyone's kind of figuring out right now, like this whole – I mean, people are questioning everything. They're mm. questioning capitalism. Like, how can we do business more ethically? What is going on here? Why are some people uh, kind of controlling, monopolizing the rest of us? And, um, yeah, I just want to help people live their best life. That sounds corny. I just do, though, <laughs> <laughs> because there's more to it than selling your life to someone else. Yeah, and I don't. it's not corny if you mean it. <laughs> Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want people to – there's more to – you can have more agency over your own time and your own life than selling your week to someone mm. if you want it. Yeah. If gosh. you're happy, then just stay happy. Yeah, selling your week to someone, yeah, that really resonates with me actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I, you'd spend your weekend kind of recovering and then going back and, and I would be resentful because there's so many things I want to do and so many people I want to be with. And I've sold my week for this money, which I use to pay for my house and expenses, and then I've got to go back and do it all again. But if I am in control of that, then I can make as much money as I want, or mm. as little. I might choose to only work two days a week and sleep in the sun with my dog for the other three. <laughs> and as long as I don't have to get up and commute, I'm happy. Yeah. I love that. And you decide because you're the boss. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is, all, which is a, a plus and a minus because there's also... You're all the people in the business, so you're the CEO and you're the ads manager and you're the bookkeeper and all of the things. So that's um, tricky. And also, so quite often what I'll say to people is, okay, here's your org chart. You're the CEO, you're the manager of sales, you're the manager of marketing, you're this and that. If you were looking at your, I don't know, your VA or admin person or your manager of marketing and you're the CEO, would you fire 
the marketing you? Mm. <laughs> and sometimes the answer is yes, because we just don't have that mm. person. You don't have that structure. So there's tricks and ways to get around that too. Otherwise, we can be a bit of a too nice boss. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, and I guess you could also flip the other way and, and um, start sort of um, firing yourself left, right and centre for all the things you're doing because you think, you know, at some point when you get on oh, the low yeah. that you're doing everything terribly. Yeah. Yes. That's <laughs> one of the things that I notice over and over and over is that we don't, as women, female entrepreneurs, we do not recognise our wins and we do not celebrate the small things. So I've started asking people if they can get like a jar <laughs> and... Yeah, a jar and some marbles or some river stones or something that they love and put them on your desk and every time you do a thing, because they'll say, oh, I've done nothing this week. And I'm like, well, hold on a minute. You've organized this email campaign. You did this, this and that. Every time you do a thing that's on your to-do list, put a stone in the jar and then at the end of the week, send me a picture of the jar or just look at it yourself and go, actually, I did some things. I'm Okay. Yeah, because that's that's such a good idea. I might start doing that too. Because when you you're just tracking away, <laughs> I will. Um, when you're tracking away on your own, um, you know you yeah. you can sometimes think, what on earth have I even done? You know. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I can totally understand that. And if I have couples or partners, I'll um, suggest that they um, high five each other. Like, how many high five moments did you have? And it could just be that you just, I don't know shipped something or it doesn't have to be huge like all those little things add up mm. and I want people to recognize them and see them and if it's a physical thing in front of you there's no denying it then you can get really fancy and you can say have different colored rocks <laughs> so say if you had <laughs> blue ones and red ones the blue ones are all for the behind the scenes stuff that we quite easily do and we fall into the creativity of all of that and the red ones might be times when you're in contact with an actual customer because some people find that quite hard mm. or doing something that would be construed as sales and if you've got 30 rocks at the end of the week that are blue and only one red one then there's a bit of a mismatch yeah. and an imbalance so maybe correct that the next week yeah I like that that's really cool really new generating activities could be the red one yeah simple and effective visual yeah indicators I like anyone that. can do that yeah awesome and so um, something I wanted to also ask you about, um, because it's something I've been talking, uh, has come up with a few people I've talked to, is, um, again, something that maybe disproportionately women experience <coughs> is the um, concept of the imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, and that, that often stops people from taking the plunge um, and, you know, quitting the commute and, and starting their own business. And you're yes. thinking, oh, what a, who am I to even, you know, think yes. I can do this? Or, you know, how do you support people around, you know, because we all go through it, um, totally. you know, from time to time. Um, what do you say or how do you support people with uh, imposter syndrome? And do you, do you think it's um, something that women um, experience more? <sighs> Well, I don't know if we experience it more or talk about it more, but I I had a, I did a post ages ago about imposter syndrome on LinkedIn, and um, one of my guy friends from way back messaged me privately and said, thank you so much for writing that because it's exactly what I was thinking and feeling, and these tips were really helpful. I can't remember mm. what they were now, I'll try and think. But, um, <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Um, it, apparently, I've been researching this because at any time I get to talk to someone who I think is really cool, I'm like, oh my gosh, do you still have it? And they're like, yep. <laughs> the stakes are just higher. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> um, 
So apparently it never goes away. And the, but I think what diffuses it for me is just being completely blatantly honest. Like, I'm not going to tell you I know stuff I don't know. I'll just go, well, heck, I don't know. I, mm. I don't know. Um, and that takes away a lot of that nervousness about, like, am I pretending to be someone I'm not? Yeah. And, and but I think it also comes from that we just don't recognize how much we know. Like, I don't care if what you know is how to make the best muffin. You can mentor someone with that. Like, you know stuff. Mm. It doesn't matter what it is or how fancy it sounds or anything. You know stuff, but we just don't recognize it. We take it for granted because you, it's as easy for you as breathing. So you just don't see it. Yeah. And that's when you need someone from the outside to just just sort of hold a mirror back to you and say, look, at all this cool stuff. Mm. You actually do know heaps of stuff and there are people who want to know that or that you can teach. Yeah, I love that. You sound like the ideal business therapist, you know, that blend of, that's what. <laughs> of both. Like, you know, it's like, oh man, I need that therapy plus the business advice. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's great. what um, one of my clients calls it business therapy. Yeah. <laughs> a monthly business therapy session. Yeah, but you're right. I think we all need that um, external eye or perspective um, sometimes because we can get so caught up or immersed in our own thing that it's really hard to gain any perspective and you sometimes you think, oh, why do I even bother? This is all just pointless. Yes. You know, who am I to tell anyone anything about anything? Yeah, and you can get yourself in quite a wee rut. You can. You can get yourself into quite a, a negative spiral and that's where the sisterhood comes in. That's where we have to slap each other upside the head and go girlfriend stop it like (laughs) look at what you've done and have those things have have a thank bank you can keep a thank bank so all the kind comments that people have said to you or written to you cut them out snip and save you know cut and paste them into a document so that you can look at it and go oh actually okay fine so someone unsubscribed or you know like things like that that happen and you can go actually, but that's okay because that's just one person, and lots of other people still dig what I do. Yeah, I love yeah. that. That's awesome. Um, I also notice because <laughs> I just keep admitting, confessing to my stalking. Um, so I like this was pretty exciting to read. In two thousand and nineteen, you were named as a finalist for outstanding solo entrepreneur in the new in the Network New Zealand Business Awards, which is pretty amazing. Congratulations! Um, oh, what you. was that like, and did that have an impact on your business? You make me sound so much cooler than I really you am. Are cool, Kate. <laughs> but I'm you here are. for it. <laughs> Um, that was fun. I they have now um, morphed into uh, collectively. They've rebranded and changed their name. So, but that was really fun, and I um, was sort of in a leadership role in that sort of network. And the reason that I do lots of things is to learn. So. I just wanted to find out what does it feel like to apply? What is it like to go through that process? Um, you know, how scary is it? Because I want to be able to talk to other people about that, those things. Mm. And so um, it's really for the experience. And then, but I was thinking about this recently and awards are amazing. Like some people, some like wine companies will always enter the awards because the more stickers and awards you've got on your label, the more obviously valuable that wine is and people people can see how good it is but I was thinking that when you think about the whole philosophy of you know maybe I'm going to decide I don't know 
do I need someone else to validate my business? And the answer is no, which is a really cool, empowering thing to say. Mm. That's it's awesome. Fun. It's really cool. It's wonderful. Yeah. There's heaps of good ones out there. But if, if you're, if I'm just thinking about people listening, and if you're, because they have rules, like maybe you have to have been in business for a short amount of time or a long amount of time or not have staff or have a certain amount of staff or have made a certain amount of money. If you don't meet the criteria, don't worry because you don't necessarily need it. Right. And or just, you can strive to get there, find out what the criteria are, see when you can meet them and then get there. Yeah. But don't sweat it. Yeah. That's just awesome that you put yourself out there and, you know, because a lot of us, again, don't go, oh, you know, I can't apply for that, you know. But just going through the experience yeah. and treating it as a learning opportunity is a really yeah, good way 100%. to look at I'm it. I'm curious. I'm nosy. I only had one Mr. Men book when I was little and I now think I should address this with my parents, but it was <laughs> Mr. Nosy. <laughs> and I read it over and over and I was like, why did they give me this one? <laughs> but I think it, um, it does. It speaks to my insane curiosity about all the things. I have to try all the things. Yeah, I love that you only, you only had one of them. Do you think I should mention it? Like yeah. all the other, all the other kids had like Little Miss Pretty or Little Miss This and That, and I had Mister Nosy. <laughs> it really does sound like a really unsubtle hint, but um, right. but yeah, I love the way you reframed it as curiosity, which is see, like, see? that's what I yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, there's another question I really want to ask you and again you know, this is something I'm talking to a lot of women about um, but as um, I mentioned I feel pretty safe in saying that you're a feminist I'm pretty sure you've called yourself a feminist um, you've talked about equality and diversity and thinking totally. and things like that and so um, Bea what does that mean for you in the context of your work and your personal life? Wow, that's a huge question. It is. It's a pretty it's a meaty one. But. <laughs> it's a cool one. I think that in the context of work, business, for me, can be a force of change. Mm-hmm. Business can be a force of change. So let's set it up with that in mind. Let's create. Let's make sure that when we create them, that we embrace diversity and, um, yeah, that we just do it in a really mindful, intentional way. So my business is called Intentio, which is Latin for design, and I want us to do it by design, not by default. Mm. that applies to everything like do your life by design not just by default and um I don't know just I don't know how I don't know how to answer that question but and I also wonder what does feminism mean to like it probably means different things to you than it means to me because we've each got our own context in which we sort of apply that but Mm. um that's a very feminist response is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I don't want to be defined in any certain way. I yeah. want I would I would want to answer each issue in context of what exactly is going on and for whom. Mm. Um and reserve that right. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. That's that's great to hear because I mean that's that's what I imagine you doing because that's how I know, you know, who you are. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I, I love knowing that if I, you know, came to you, you take the time to get to know people as a person. You're not rolling out some kind of one-size-fits-all business model and, you know, putting it on people. Yes. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I do – I have worked – I do work with some men, and it's not that I don't want to work with men. It's just that I roll differently and we've got different understandings. So I can speak to 
you know, that struggle of dropping the kid off at daycare and then rushing to work and all of that stuff that we sometimes cry about. Mm. And I think also women are more likely to embrace the woo-woo side. So I'm all very scientific and, you know, MBA business speak, but I'll also say things like, we need to open up a portal in the universe through which money can flow to you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, who I'm a hippie. But um, I think that women are more open to that sort of the emotional, the spiritual, the the bit more woo-woo side of things. So <laughs> it's not that I don't want to work with men, it's just that I vibe more with like-minded people, I guess. Yeah, sure. I get that. <laughs> hey, here's one of my um, my kind of fun questions that I like to ask people. Um, and I'm, I, I like predicting in my head what I think people are going to answer. Um, and oh. so far, no one has, um, yeah, I've, I've not gotten it right so far at all. Um, oh. So I'm interested in it. <laughs> I just make a lot of assumptions that are clearly wrong. Um, so here's my question for you. What would you rather do? Steer the boat, rock the boat, build the boat, or something else? I want us to drive the boat together out into uncharted waters and explore new territories together. It's got to be a big boat because we've got to get lots of people on there. I love it. So it's, it's like a, um, a cruise ship on a mission. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so I like, yeah, you bring people with you and you forge we go off exploring into the, together. Yeah, exploring. And because we're together, it's not dangerous. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's, that's great. I'm going to, yeah. I'll bring that with me when I when I call you back after this <laughs> business okay. coaching. Um, can you? Here's another one. Can you tell me about a time when someone said "whoa" to you, as in "whoa, stop"? Um, and what do you say to that now? Especially if it was because you know you're a woman or you're a girl, and you know you can't do that. Whatever. I wish they had said "whoa," but I think they pretty much just you know ignore. <laughs> Rather than saying why, because that's a much more subtle mm. microaggression to use. Um, so I wish they had said whoa, and I would have said no. But um, I don't. I could. I can't remember a time when people have said that. It's just subtle and ingrained, and you kind of think to yourself, "Did that just happen? Did I just speak? Mm. Um, what's going on? Like, oh, maybe it's me." And then you think about it later, and you go my voice wasn't listened to as much as the deeper voices in the room or whatever it is. So I can't think of a time. I'm sure there are times when people have said, Kate, stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, More of a just general patriarchal woe. <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. the woe is, is just insidiously deeply ingrained and – but the no isn't. So that's, that's where all of our businesses come through is mm. that – yeah, the the woe might be quiet, but the our our response to that isn't quiet. Yeah. We need to use our voices. Yeah, yeah, and take back ownership of those words like bossy and sassy and uh, yeah, 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 totally for sure. <laughs> um, all right, here's my um, sort of final question for you, and I'm sure lots of people would want to um, hear from you on this. What are, what is your top tip or a few tips for women who may be setting out to launch their big idea? or rock the boat in their field, what would you say to women who are, who are thinking, okay, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this thing? I was going to say just go for it, but I know that's easier said than done because you're thinking, but all of those things that we overthink. So just very simply don't 
don't go all out and build this whole big thing. Just do a low-resolution prototype. You know, like just test it out on a small scale. So what you can do, first of all, is if you've got this idea and it's a product or a service, test it on your friends. Don't actually listen to too much of their feedback because A, they love you, and B, um, they're your friends and family. But just test it, and then test it on a stranger. And you know the idea is good. So you've got to basically validate it is what I'm saying. And you know the idea is good when you can get a stranger to get money out of their wallet and give it to you. Mm -hmm. Not say they would give it to you, hypothetically, but actually get it out and give it to you. And there's easy ways of doing that. You don't need to go and don't spend money on your logo. I say don't spend money, make it first. Yeah. Then you get to go and do all the fun things like get your business card and do your logo and website and all that stuff. But you don't need it to start in the very, very beginning. So... And, and get support. Just find someone who's done it before you and just go and ask their advice. I mean, people love to help. People really love to help. So don't don't be shy. Just go and say, hey, look, I'm thinking of doing this. And don't be scared that someone will steal your idea. People do steal ideas, but most people are too lazy to go and do anything about it. Like go, go and do what you're brave enough to actually go and do. So don't freak out about that because if you ask the right people, you should be fine. Yeah, that's true. And other than that, just go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> and and yeah, and I like the idea about, you know, making making a sort of a prototype first. And yes. um and also knowing that yeah, people might steal your idea, but actually there's quite a few businesses out there that all do the same thing and yet they all have their own yeah. point of difference as well. And so knowing your special point of difference would be key, wouldn't it? You know, if Absolutely, you're worried about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a really that's a really common objection people sort of or doubt people say oh but there's already heaps of people doing this I had that thought but then you know Coke Pepsi mm. all of those car yards next to each other on the road yeah question answered yeah there's exactly. enough there's enough room for everyone yeah I love that there's enough room for everyone there's hope yep. for us all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> oh, look, that, that's so awesome. Thank you so much for your um, wise words today. And it's been really great hearing from you and catching up with you. And I'm sure that people will really appreciate uh, a lot of what you've had to say and the advice you've given. And um, I imagine that there'll be a few people getting in touch with Kate Wright as well at Intentio Business Design, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for saying the name right. Most people can't say it. It's a, Don't name your business anything Latin. <laughs> Because <laughs> people don't say it, can't say it or spell it. But thank you so much for having me. It's been super fun. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely ring me after this. I will. Cool. All right. <laughs> thank you. And um, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Woe, Women On Air. You can search for our page on Facebook and we are at woe underscore podcast on Twitter. New episodes are available from the ORFM Dunedin website, oar.org.nz, and wherever you find your favourite podcasts. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.